I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Day two at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. And I, I just, before we get started, we're going to have a mailbag today. And I'm sure we'll have some questions on the Bucks and their direction. Um, just a couple thoughts from Todd Bowles and Jason Light that... You know, this team is going to get younger and has to, right? I think that there's a perception that you know you can keep keep the the train moving, even though you have spent a lot of money uh, and a lot of uh, pre agent you know signings to to try to win Super Bowls with Tom Brady. Not with this is not you, you wouldn't necessarily do this for any quarterback, right? Like I was thinking about this, and somebody was asking, and we'll probably get a question about Derek Carr. Um, how can the Saints do this, right? How, how could Carolina? Well, Carolina is in a much uh, different situation financially as far as salary cap goes. But the Saints are, I don't know, $40 million over the cap. Here's what you have to realize about the Saints. They're pretty good, right? Like they still have a mixture of old and new. And last time I checked, I mean, you know, if the Bucks don't pull that game out at home, the Saints may win that division last year as bad as they were at quarterback with Andy Dalton. So they may think we're a quarterback away from dominating this division again. And I don't think you could say that about the Bucks unless that quarterback was Tom Brady uh, and you would have a chance and you'd reload it and all that stuff, even at 40, 45 years old. But this, they have thought about this, you know, knew this day was coming, and they thought it was going to come last year. I mean, remember, Brady retired for 40 days. They left the light on, all that stuff. And he came back, but this is this is very similar to the plan that they were ready to execute a year ago, and it just turns out they took on more debt, um, re-signed more players, but it's going to have a different look to it, obviously. And and it's, you're you're going to go. It's just the cycle of the NFL. The good teams have to find that quarterback piece, and and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to see is Kyle Trask going to be that guy. Look, there's a lot of quarterbacks that weren't drafted in the first round that didn't play right away, and they turned out really good. And and, and you just – here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know. Um, I've watched Trask. My personal opinion is he's going to be a, a very functional quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be great in the NFL, but this is the thing. No one really knows. What I've seen of him, he doesn't complete enough balls. Um, he's going to have to become way more accurate on, on the easy throws. You have to be able to, you know, me to you, as the new offensive coordinator said the other day, that me to you as a quarterback is important. But he's a smart guy. He works his butt off. That All those intangibles are there. And I think, you know, people forget how dominant he was at times when he had NFL talent around him at Florida, you know. And they had a number of guys going the first round. He went toe-to-toe with Mac Jones. And a year ago, people were, you know, prior to last season when Matt Patricia and they didn't have an offensive coordinator and got nuts up there in New England. People were talking about Mac Jones as rookie of the year and MVP candidate, right? Kyle Trask can do those things. And you're going to have to put a lot of good pieces around him like you would with any quarterback. 
but they need to see. And and this is just something that was going to happen. There's going to be other changes too. One of those that Todd Bowles talked about was Antoine Winfield Jr., who's arguably their best player on defense in many ways. I mean, you talk, you know, I think Vita, right, with the six and a half sacks at defensive tackle. Um, Carlton Davis, who they franchised, he's had some injury issues for sure. But then you quickly get to Antoine Winfield Jr., and if you remember, they moved him down in that slot corner position that, you know, sort of what Ronnie Barber played. Not much bigger than Ronnie Barber. Very similar in size, actually. The difference is he got hurt. He got he got beat up down there, and even though he made a lot of plays, um, you know, as as a blitzer uh, in the run game, um, and, and at times in the pass game, he only had one interception. I think you're going to see him move out of there. I, I, you know, they gave him a lot to do. He was kind of playing two positions. I think you're going to see him playing center field. You know, uh, playing making plays on the ball like he did two years ago with that big interception in Indianapolis. I think that's where he's headed. Now he can still come down there at times. He can still blitz. Um, but they need to protect him a little bit. So there's all kinds of these, you know, sort of nuanced changes that are going to happen, and we'll see what happens with free agency if they get any of their own guys back. Um, I think Levante David is a possibility if he wants to finish his career in Tampa. I'm not sure, you know, what the agreement will be on compensation necessarily. Uh, if they sign him before March 15th, it'll help them in the cap because there's some dead money with him. Uh, and if you sign him to, to a one-year deal, you can certainly reduce that number, which will help them get – cap compliant but a lot of a lot of players even a guy like Levante David don't make it to free agency very often may want to see what's out there you know um and you know he's from Miami what if what if the Dolphins had a need like you just don't know what you don't know um so we'll see how they how they put it together but this this it was interesting to me like listening to to more of Todd Bowles and Jason Light sort of say yeah you know like we knew this day was coming and and there's a lot of hand wringing and and they're not they don't feel that way like they they look at the NFC South they think they can be competitive with what they have they're not giving up on the season um, but as Todd Bowles said specifically and we've been saying this a lot he said look the the bills have come due right you you've got to pay off the bills and so that's not the Buffalo Bills but uh, that that that's sort of where they're at and I think. It'll be interesting to see him put it together. I mean, you know, there there are there's a challenge in the NFL every week. You know, every game uh, you live and die with if you're uh, a member of this organization or you're a fan. But there's also sort of the beauty of it. You know, like that's that's the chase, right? The chase is the thing, and it and if you're a fan, you can watch the team be put back together or uh, try to you know uh, try to see how quickly they can make themselves relevant. Look. The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, what, five, six years ago. They never really dropped off. Like, they kept they kept getting back to the playoffs, I think, all but one year. And then Jalen Hurts shows up. And now they're – and you would think their future is pretty bright. You know, they didn't have but, you know, five, six players from that Super Bowl team that played in the last Super Bowl this year. So it's it's part of the process. The good teams, you know, stay on top. And, and we'll see what the Bucks franchise is. All right, without – Let's uh, get into our mailbag questions. All right, we'll start with A.G., who had uh, emailed you, actually. He says, Tom Brady was fined $11,000 for that slide tackle in the wild card game. What happens if he doesn't pay it? Just curious. Well, he's paid it. Um, and the way they do it is it, it comes to <laughs> They don't, you know, it's always funny. It's like, could you imagine NFL players if you find them and you had to wait for them to write the check? <laughs> um, 
I think there'd be a lot of debt. Are NFL players played around the year or just during the season? Because it was postseason, and you've already been it paid was postseason. But you get, but I guess you, you get, get your postseason post, check. So yeah, you get a postseason okay. check. Yeah, yeah. So uh, generally, payday is. I think in the NFL, it's on. It's on. Is it Wednesday? It's on, no, it's on the Monday after the game. Um, if you're on the roster Wednesday, you're considered. If you're on the fifty-three, right. even if they cut you after that, you're considered that. That's a that's a work week, right? Like you've completed a work week at, at, if you're if you're on the roster on Wednesday. So that's why most of the cuts happen on Tuesday, um, because you know teams aren't going to pay guys that they're not going to use. So you play the game, and guys are paid throughout the entire course of the season, which in 17-game season, it's an 18-week right uh, job, okay, because there's a bye week in there. Uh, and so they just divide up whatever your base salary is. Now, bonuses and things like that are different. Um, the team and the contract kind of determines when those payouts happen. But as far as your, what is it we call paragraph five, what your base salary is, that, that comes out, you know, throughout the, the 18 weeks. And then um, you get paid, I believe it's on Monday after this Sunday or, you know, Monday night game. It'd be Tuesday, I suppose. Um, but regardless, they, they take that money out first. <laughs> and then you can appeal it, right, and, and try to get it put back in your check the next week. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that bill's been paid. And, and I wonder if Tom really even knows, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, you think he looks at his pay stub each week? No. <laughs> I I don't know what he looks at to be honest with you. I mean, I think he's fully aware of what he's worth, and he, but he's got really smart business people. And and to be honest with you, even if he was making twenty five thirty million dollars a year playing quarterback, I'm guessing he might make more than that off the field, right? Mm-hmm. I have a story about that. I don't know if I should share it. I probably won't right now. Let's just say, for very little work, like one particular speaking engagement I can think of. Um, literally 10 minutes from his house. Uh, Tom Brady and his folks. Uh, and it wasn't anything that was, you know, absurd or, you know, it was something you would think that, that an athlete might speak at. They got up to like half a million dollars. And that's where the negotiated ended because the other party didn't have budgeted more for that for speaking. I'm talking about 10, 15 minutes, no autographs. 10 minutes from his house. No, I'm good. And it was a day off. Now, he might have had plans and all that, right? But, like, you and I, Steve, we probably would have taken that gig. Uh, you know, I, I would have done it for a quarter million. <laughs> Everybody has their price. There you go. Uh, and they probably wouldn't would have offered you one dime over a quarter million because you're not Tom Brady. I don't think they'd offer uh, me one dime over a quarter, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, it's, it's weird. But, yeah, I, it's a great – I don't know. I don't know that he – I know he's probably aware of, of everything, but he's got smart people that take care of that direct deposit, I'm sure, for him and uh, probably won't miss that 11K very much. It was a, it was a, it was an awkward trip attempt, however, on his part. All right, Michael emailed you. He said, I feel like Tom Brady's last year with the organization was a power struggle amongst the offensive coordinator and the rest of the organization. Did Brady contribute to the unrest? Waiting for you to write your book, Brady, the Buccaneers, and Stroud. Yeah, I have to be retired from the Times to do that, apparently. Um, so I don't know that it was a quote-unquote power struggle. Uh, it was interesting last year. You know, 
and we we kind of talked about when Bruce Arians retired, like what was behind that. And I've talked to Bruce several times. You know, there wasn't an, an altruistic um, effort by Bruce, you know, to secure the futures of 32 coaches and, and more importantly, their families. The irony is for nine of them, it didn't work out, right? They got fired after a year anyway. So when Brady came back, uh, you know, Bruce was upset that neither Byron nor Todd Bowles had, had gotten head coaching jobs. Um, and this was, you know, sort of presented as his effort to kind of hand it off, you know, to his guys, right? Uh, which he said he wanted to do in Arizona and it didn't work out there. Uh, and Bruce had some health issues as well. You know, the, the previous season was really hard on him. He had torn his Achilles. He didn't want to have surgery. Like there was a lot going on. Um, and, and so he did it. But I think, I think Brady was of the mindset that this would be better. You know, he's not one that's going to order the code red. And that's not his style. That's not, you know, we read the stories lately about Russell Wilson going to ownership and saying, you know, I want Pete Carroll fired. I want John Snyder fired. That's If that's true, that's not something Brady would do. Uh, he would be much more passive aggressive than that. Uh, and there's there'd be a nuance to it. But I don't think that there was, it was communicated that this was something that Brady was against. Let's put it that way. And in fact, I think he had high expectations that Todd would do some of the things that Bruce hadn't done, i.e. hold players, and I don't mean in the press, but like, you know, during practice, make them more competitive, uh, more accountability, certainly more of a run-pass balance, right? That that was the big thing that Bowles talked about. Um, Brady had always operated that way. Uh, You know, he had led the NFL in pass attempts 719 the previous year, and that was the most of his career until he until he met 2022 <laughs> and then uh he eclipsed it and and that was never something he was interested in you know he didn't like necessarily the no risk it no biscuit he was able to do it um but they kind of changed that the second half of the 2020 season when they won the Super Bowl and were much more balanced and um and be, were becoming Brady's offense as opposed to Bruce Arians so he really did have high expectations and when they weren't met he was very vocal about it you know i don't want to give away my book um but there were a lot of meetings and you know production meetings with networks and things like that where he was not holding back right and i think that it became sort of evident that the fall guy was going to be byron left which and i i feel for byron in this sense in that you know look this was not a great football team right? Especially on the offensive line. They had a couple things happen that they just couldn't anticipate nor replace. Um, Ali Marpet in March retired. No one saw that coming. I mean, no one, not even his father, right? This guy was 28 years old, made his first Pro Bowl, okay? Had, but had made, you know, $32 million in his career. And one day uh, he said, you know what? I'm not living a healthy lifestyle. I don't want to do this anymore. I've made plenty of money. I've got a higher calling to do whatever down the road. I'm still a young guy. I'm out. It was a courageous thing to do, and you're happy for Allie, but it just caught the Bucks completely off guard, right, pun intended. And, you know, so you had to go about the business of drafting somebody or using what was on your roster. And, frankly, you know, Nick Leverett, nice guy, scrappy player, backup, right? Not a starter in this league, really. Um, and... So they go out and they draft Luke 
you know, Gedeke, and he just he wasn't that guy. Try to move him from right tackle to left guard. Talk about him all day. Um, and then on the second day of training camp, Brian Jensen goes down. And that was right in the midst of Tom Brady's sort of personal crisis was happening real time. It might have been the same day or, or about the same day or the next day uh, that he left camp for a day. That was when he was informed from what I can piece together and what coaches and, and different personnel tell me. That was when he was informed that Giselle wanted a divorce. And so you put those things together and you go, wow, what a week. Okay. You come back after being out for 40 days. Um, and now you're perceived as a crappy husband for doing it. She's divorcing you. And I'm, I, listen, I'm not in their marriage. I don't really think any one thing is what caused them to end, end a marriage when they have two children together. But regardless, that was the timing. And things just kind of snowballed after that, right? Nothing really went the way it was supposed to go. And the biggest story was Tom Brady with lesser talent, with less time devoted to what he, the way he prepares because of the, the personal stuff he was going through, well, the weight loss. We watched all of it collapse kind of in, you know, at, before the season began. And it never really got better. I mean, somehow they won the first two games. I'm still scratching my head how that happened in Dallas and at New Orleans, right? They were 2-0 and with, with, you know, that gauntlet of four games. And you thought, wow, if they navigate this 3-1. and um, But then eventually it caught up to them. They weren't a great football team, especially up front. And Tom wasn't the same guy uh, in terms of his willingness to hold the ball, throw it down the field. He was getting rid of it really quick. And so their offense kind of shrunk. And Byron, you know, I think he tried to be balanced. I mean, they ran it a lot against Dallas, and it's probably one of their one one of their two best running games. The other one being in Germany against the Seahawks. But you know, as a, as a play caller, when when you're second and ten, second and nine, third and eight, because you run it, and you know, schematically, it's too simple. Uh, your, your blockers aren't moving people; they're not executing. You know, your best chance of scoring which is the whole idea is to keep the ball in your best player's hands which is Brady and and I understand why Byron did that Um, and somehow you know Tom would get the ball in the fourth quarter and he had like five or five fourth quarter comebacks or overtime and that's how they won and and that was the objective is win the game but Bowles was very frustrated with it Um, he could have made a change at coordinator if he really wanted the play calling to be different in terms of the run pass balance and and Brady was just frustrated about everything about his life about you know there, there wasn't a place that he was in a happy space you know uh and it, it all just you know it all just kind of snowballed on them really they could never get more than two wins in a row thought they turned it around in Germany and then the bye week happened i really wonder if the timing of that had been different if they'd have played the next week if they could have carried some of that momentum with them um, but they weren't able to. They just weren't able to sustain anything. And yet, they still won the division, right? So I I don't know that there was a you know a power struggle per se, a lot of frustration, and quite frankly, Todd Bowles was his inability to change anything, right? Whether that was with himself, his coaching staff, which he inherited. Granted, he did not 
He wasn't able to hire anybody, but he had worked with these guys, and they had won a Super Bowl together. So I think it's disingenuous to say they weren't good coaches, right? And Clyde Christensen's a good quarterback's coach. Um, I can't, you know, and I asked Todd this the other day, like, okay, you, you know, you fired nine coaches or retired nine coaches. What about the two guys in charge of the run game? You know, what about Joe Gilbert and, um, you know, Harold Goodwin? And, and he was like, well, you know, they're good coaches and I didn't want to have to go hire an offensive line coach and they're hard to find and, and, and it really wasn't their fault. Well, you know, kind of was. I mean, great players make great coaches, right? And then that's the bottom line. It just wasn't, it wasn't a team that had great players, especially in the key positions like offensive line. Um, we've said this and, and I'll wrap it up on this question. Um, I was talking to Herm Edwards, you know, about Rondy Barber going in the pro football hall of fame. And he said, Rick, I've always said this, that players make coaches. It's not the other way around. He goes, you know, we can, we can put them in position and we can do this and that. He goes, look at our defense right now. The fourth Hall of Fame player from the Bucks Super Bowl defense is going into the Hall of Fame, going to be enshrined in August. And the Steelers, by the way, have five. They won four Super Bowls. They have five on defense, the Steel Curtain. So he goes, look at our defense, right? Four Hall of Famers. He goes, how many head coaches did we get off that staff? Well, Herm got two head coaching jobs. Rod Marinelli was a head coach. Lovey Smith was a head coach. Uh, he was gone. But Mike Tomlin got a head coaching job. Eventually, Raheem Morris got a head coaching job. All of them were what? Defensive coaches. Where were the players? On defense. <laughs> you know? So, you know, that staff won Super Bowls, but nobody on offense was, was tapped on the back and said, hey, you know, we really like to have you. Um, John Gruden, you know, kept kept being that guy, right? Um, and then, you know, I mean, there were guys, I don't think he was part of the Super Bowl staff. I mean, John's had a coaching tree, right, including Sean McVay and others that ran through Tampa. But he's right. Like, great players make great coaches. And the Bucks were not a team full of great players a year ago. And I, and I think that frustrated Brady. They tried to do some things. They tried to add some guys. Julio Jones got hurt. You know, a lot of the additions they made – Simply the players were too old and too unproductive when they got them. So I don't know. It wasn't a power struggle. They never fixed it. And I think Bowles ran around the building, you know, kind of saying, hey, fix this. <laughs> and and it's just not, you know, you got to make changes, right? Like he had his opportunity. And I thought that they were, they were going to fire Byron before Germany. Uh, and if not, they were going to fire him after Germany if that didn't work out. And then they go over there and have their best game. They run it like crazy. They, they made the switch to Rashad White as the starter. He goes for over 100 yards, his only 100-yard game of the season, I think. And then it was like, well, damn, <laughs> you know, maybe we got this thing turned around. Um, but it was fool's gold. It just, it just wasn't, wasn't real. You got more of your mailbag questions coming up. But first, I want to tell you how to save money on your electric bill. It's May Electric Solar, who is back with us, I understand, for, what, another year, Steve? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. They're doing uh, great. I understand they got uh, a couple big jobs coming up. So, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, thirteen years they've been in business in this area, and there's a lot of these companies. But May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term, so they guarantee their workmanship. Get this for thirty years, labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get seven hundred fifty dollars worth of surge protection for all your appliances. You won't get that anywhere. That's the main difference. You visit their Hudson showroom. They got all their products, and they conduct on-site testing. You can see what they're going to install specifically for you and your needs. Plus, you don't 
seeing them using subcontractors. So all those people up there, those are uh, Billy Mays guys, and they're doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar. Here's the number, 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, and preserve the quality of those appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, Craig had uh, tweeted us. He says, what will you miss most about covering Brady in, on the Bucks? If you had to make a prediction, who will play a game in a new stadium first, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Tampa Bay Rays? Um, or the Rays somewhere else, who knows? <laughs> For that matter, right? Uh, what I will miss most, I think, is the expectation um, on Sunday that Brady would be resourceful enough to find a way to win. Like, there was never a game, I don't care who they were playing, um, and, you know, I'm, when I go... I prepare a different way, obviously, than players do. And and people don't believe this, but I am not a fan. Um, you, you do lose that fan card, you know, when you go to journalism school and you start practicing your your craft. But what I think about are storylines, right? Like, And we write them throughout the week. We're like, okay, who are they playing? What are the matchups? Um, you know, what is likely to happen here today? Um, what am I looking for specifically? Is there an injury or is there a, uh, you know, a matchup on defense against the offense where, you know, one side has the advantage. Like, what am I looking for? They have momentum or this team has momentum. Um, So you go into the game thinking that. But here's what you, you know, from my standpoint, what I always thought was there was never a game they played that I didn't think that Brady would find a way to win. And he did it a bunch of different ways. You know, I mean, he was just that guy that was never in a hurry, like, you know, most quarterbacks get impatient and they have to make the big play and they have to throw it down the field and but 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 and Brady would just dissect people and and I think just the the craftsmanship that he displayed at the quarterback position until you see it up close, you know, until you watch practice and the ball doesn't hit the ground some days. Like I remember the practice he had, he had come off that ten day hiatus, you know, and. Everyone's kind of worried. It was like, what's going on with this guy? He's gone for 10 days. He missed two preseason games. Okay, he's back. And there's only one preseason game left. And he had clearly lost weight and, and stress was mounting on him and all that. Um, and so the first practice back, it, it seemed like the whole organization, clearly we watched him, you know, for a, you know, a little bit. Uh, and, but this was training camp. So we could watch the whole practice, right? We don't get that during the season. So he comes in, and I think the whole organization had their eyes on him because, first of all, you know, he's Tom Brady, right? You feel the lift just for him. He walks back in the building as he's been gone for 10 days. And that practice, I'm telling you, he was as sharp as if he were playing in a Super Bowl. Like he, he knew that it wasn't just a practice. He knew that people would be watching him closely to see, okay, you know, is this guy's timing off? Is he, is he not you know, going to be really mentally focused, like what, how's this going to go? And and he just had this ability, and he did it in games every Sunday, to just rise to whatever the level uh, needed to be, you know. If he needed to be greater than he normally was, he would be. When you're around greatness like that, and there's very few athletes, Tiger Woods, right, 
Um, Wayne Gretzky, I would imagine. I, I saw Wayne Gretzky play his first game in L.A. It was just happenstance I was there. Um, you know, there's you know, Michael Jordan, obviously. LeBron James, I guess, at times. But when you're around it, and you're around it every day, you realize this is not an accident. You know, and some of those other guys I mentioned, they're just, you know, a lot of them just incredible athletes, right? They just out-athlete people as well as they were brilliant in their craft. But they all had the same thing. Like, they they had a drive uh, and a determination and a competitiveness that no one could match, right? What was Brady willing to do to be Brady? What sacrifices did he make every day in his diet, in his exercise, with his family? With You know, all of them sacrificed that. But like, what was Brady willing to do to to be the best? And again, he didn't necessarily have the physical skills, but he found a way. And it was just the way that a great player rises to the level that they need to be at, and then exceeds it sometimes. Was was worth the three years that I was able to watch him. I mean, he and 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 because of that, especially the first two years, first year in particular. Because of that, no one wanted to disappoint him. <laughs> no, when Tom Brady got to Tampa, I mean, guys, head snapped really quick, right? Like they, he told them something, and they didn't question it. They took it as the gospel, and they tried to get better every single rep. And and he had profound influences on a lot of players that way. And now the question is, does that does that last right without Brady in the building? I don't think it does. I'm not one of these big culture guys. Well, we built the culture. No, the culture is winning, right? It's a chicken and the egg thing. It's like, yeah, when you win, then you have good culture. When you lose, you're, you're trying to build that culture. No, you're just trying to win. And when you figure out how to win, then the culture follows. Um, but there are guys that, you know, benefited from Brady, and, and they can now apply that to their own set. Um, and very few guys can match that level. But a lot of guys did get better. And a lot of guys had their career sustained. Mike Evans is one. I don't know that Mike Evans would be playing a 10th season this year if Tom Brady didn't show up. I don't know that he would have made the commitment physically, you know, to do the things, diet and, you know, all that other stuff to preserve his body and extend his career. Um, and that's not a knock on Mike. It's just it's a, it's a brutal position. You get beat up a lot. Um, but he started treating himself the right way, and here he is 10 years, you know, into his career. So, yeah, it was that. I, I think that's what I'll miss is just – being around the greatest to ever do it. That's a rare opportunity. And um, for all those that got to see it, it was really something. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. Robbie had emailed us. He says, I just don't see paying top dollar to keep a cornerback. They are important, but unless they're a guy like Rondé who can intercept and sack, they're not going to dominate mm-hmm. a game and win it for you, are they? I feel like it's a mistake that the bad teams out there are make, that are making then excuse the market too high for compensation at this position. Darrell Reeves yeah. was incredible, but even he didn't make a difference. Quarterback or edge rushers affect every play. And, of course, he's referring mm-hmm. to Jamel Dean on this email. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's a fair point, I think. You know, I, I think that compensation is, is cyclical, right? Um, there was a time when they started unrestricted free agency, and it surprised a lot of people. You, you know, the salaries that jumped the highest were offensive linemen. All of a sudden, like offensive tackles were making a, more than, you know, skill players. Everybody's like, whoa. But, you know, at that time, the game was about running the football. You know, it was about moving the guy in front of you, about protecting the quarterback, obviously. But left tackles, like, hit a windfall, right? Um, now, today's game, it's who's getting paid? Receivers. You know, look at what Tyreek Hill made. Look at look at what some of these new receiver salaries are. It's, it's unbelievable, right? Um, the increase in why? Because the rules have changed. Um, it's a passing league. And if you've got a guy right, that can dominate out there on the grass, you're going to pay him. You're going to pay Tyreek Hill, um, and especially if they have speed. So when the receivers started getting paid, <laughs> uh, who's covering those guys, right? Now, you know, most of them are taller, longer, faster. So where do you find a bunch of tall, long, fast guys, and how do we get the best one? Um so I think when it became a passing league, the value of the defensive back uh, increased sort of substantially in accordance to the guys they're playing, right? It's, it, it's become a little bit like basketball on grass. And so that's sort of why the value is there. But I would agree with you. To me, I think you know the, the guys that are closer to the ball when it snapped – have a better chance of affecting the game, right? You just do. If you handle the ball on every play, you're the quarterback, then you affect the game probably the most. But you also are the most dependent on everyone else to do their job in order to, to have any say of how you, how you play. Um, but football has not changed from the peewee level in, in terms of its, of its goal. Its goal is to move the team in front of you backwards, Okay, so any way you can do that, you want to advance your position, right? Uh, and you, you know you got to have the big uglies to do that. And so I always thought that offensive and defensive linemen, and particularly you know those that can affect the quarterback. So we talked about corners; they affect the quarterback because they cover up the receivers. But the guys that are closest to the quarterback, they can affect them the quickest. Uh, and maybe the most forcefully are your defensive linemen. Uh, and your edge rushers still probably make as much money as anybody on the field that's not a quarterback, right, um, because they have to get them on the ground. Um, but it's a philosophical thing. I mean, I, I, listen, the Bucks, the second year of Brady, they won 13 games, and they were pulling guys off the street. I mean, Richard Sherman, Coach Sherm came in here, and he was here for three days and played three games in 11 days or 12 days and blew everything out, like blew his hamstring, like he had nothing, right? Um, they were pulling guys off the, off the streets and starting them, right? They, they had so many injuries in the secondary. They still won 13 games. You know, so to, to the point that, you know, he's making, they don't grow on trees, but if you're really strong other places – especially on the defensive line, and they were that year. You know, Shaq Barrett had a good year. They had Jason Pierre-Paul still on the team, all that. Um, then you can you can overcome it because it's always the combination of, of coverage and pressure, right? Like 
you can't cover these receivers for for more than two or three seconds, right? Um, so you need a pass rush. You need to affect the quarterback, get the ball out of his hands. But if you don't have a guy that can cover the receiver and let them have a chance to get to the quarterback, then it's not going to work there either. So they kind of work hand in hand. But I would agree with you. I mean, I, I understand why people put value on them um, because it's a passing league. But And you can't change that. They just get what they get. Like nothing, nothing is cheaper in the NFL. And look, they're making more and more money every year. So you see these salaries and you go, what? 17 million for a corner. Yeah. But right. 10 years ago, the salary cap wasn't 228, $224.8 million. Right. It was probably $180 million or $150 million. Or maybe I remember when it went over a hundred million dollars. Um, so the league's making more and more revenue each year. And that's why the player costs go up. Because the, the the players are partners in the league. They get about, what, 48, 47%, of all designated gross revenue to go towards player costs. And so that's why the salaries, you look at them and you go, wow, I wouldn't pay that for a corner. But that's just what it costs. That's the cost of doing business. All right, Brian tweeted us. He says, since you answer questions 100% correctly guaranteed, why is Anthony Richardson's draft stock so high given his less than stellar college stats? Seems like a stretch for any team, let alone the Bucks, to draft him in the first round. Well, in the first place, we say this all the time. You guys leave off the best part or your money back. Hello. That's what Herm Edwards thinks. You play to win the game. And you say that to, you say that to Herm. He goes, they always forget hello. Hello. That's the best part. The best part is or your money back. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, what's the question? <laughs> um why is Anthony Richardson's you, draft stock so oh, high given a- AR, his college yeah, performance? AR, AR 15. Um, well, it's as simple as this. You can't win without a good quarterback, right? And there are very few teams like the Kansas Cities or the Buffalo Bills or the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, every team, and I mean 32 out of 32, want to draft and develop a quarterback that they can have for 10 years that will take them to the promised land, right? That will be a perennial playoff quarterback and build around that piece because it's the most important piece. And we all know it. Run Pee Wee on, right? So the problem is that, you know, to get a really good one, two things have to happen. Your team has to suck because you got to finish near the bottom of the league, Right. And somehow, you know, the, the Bears kind of traded into this position, right? But they um, they got the number one pick now, and they have Justin Fields, and they probably won't use the number one pick. They'll probably trade that to someone else. But you have to be within range to move up to that spot or the first two spots to assure yourself of one of the two highest-rated guys. Does that mean that they're absolute, you know, can't miss guys because they're going to go one and two in the draft. No. Why are they going one and two? We don't know. Right. Why is Bryce Young, who's, who's, you know, barely six foot tall and 195 pounds. Why is he the first overall pick? Well, he's CJ Stroud. Love the name, but has he really done enough to merit the number two overall pick or possibly the number one overall pick after a couple okay years at Ohio state, maybe better than okay. I thought he played, you know, this past championship series much better. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's just a projection, right? Like you don't, and they're going to go to bad teams. And this, this hit me over the head the other day. Um, you know, when we were at the combine on, uh, T 
Tuesday, um, Marcus Mariota was released by the Atlanta Falcons. It was inevitable that he was going to be. Remember, at the end of the year, they basically told him to go home. They were going to play Desmond Ritter, and he left the building. Um, so we knew that was going to happen. And I got to thinking about it. You know who's going to be released next? Jameis Winston. Uh, the Saints, I think, by March 15th, they'll let him go. Now, those two guys in 2015, uh, 16, somewhere there, um, I think it was 15. I mean, the debate raged for months. Who's better? Who's going one? Who's going two? Who do you like? You know, and Lovey Smith made sure they lost to New Orleans on the last game, tanked that game so he could get the number one pick and wanted Jameis. And Jameis, we, we lived it five years, right? He came to a terrible team, savior syndrome, um, you know, couldn't get better, three head coaches. like, and, and, you know, eight years later, and he's made a ton of money, but what is Jameis Winston? Wait, he's not really a starting quarterback, right? And neither is Mariota. So this is more common than not common, but you have to keep trying, man. Like, there's a handful of teams, maybe a little bit more. You throw the Philadelphia in there with Jalen Hurts now. Um, Dallas, perhaps, if you, you know, if you like Dak. But everybody else, they're still searching. And 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 so you gotta keep you gotta keep spending draft capital. And oh, by the way, because of the rookie salary pool, right? Used to be you'd had to guarantee these guys, like you know, you like you want like this quarterback going first or second, you gotta give him sixty million dollars guaranteed before he ever takes a snap, right? That's no longer the case. I mean, you're in control of these guys for five years on rookie deals. And I'm not saying they're working for free, but they're not making what they used to make prior to two thousand and eleven when they changed the rules. Uh, and so now there's less risk financially, right? Draft capital is important, but you're going to spend it to try to find that guy, right? I mean, I remember at this combine several years ago, what's it been maybe four or five years ago now, um, you know, Jalen Hurts was up there and he had gone from Alabama where, you know, he was replaced at halftime by Tua who won the national title and the guy handled it with such class and he goes to Oklahoma and he gets them, back to number one, right? And just just talking to the guy, I was like so impressed. I was like, I don't even know that I want you as my quarterback, but I want you on my team. Like I would have spent a second-round pick just to have him. And it turns out all those intangibles, you know, drove him to be a really good player, and he took his team to a Super Bowl. So I would always draft a quarterback somewhere. And, you know, look at Brock Purdy this year, the last guy taken in the draft. Where were the Niners without him? He went 7-0. and then he got hurt in the championship game. They were done, right? So you can get them other places, but it's rare. Um, the Josh Allens, the you know Patrick Mahomes, and guys like that they they tend to be drafted in the first round. There'll be about four, maybe maybe more quarterbacks. So Anthony Richardson has things you can't teach, okay? Um, and you just hope you. You, you can use those talents. I mean, he's an incredible athlete, like just has measurables God-given, right? Six foot four, 230 pounds, whatever. Absolute cannon for an arm, right? Like Randall Cunningham type arm, like just can throw it through the stadium, like end zone to end zone. It's just incredible how strong his arm is. Um, can run, make plays, make guys miss, 
do this kind of athletic things that you just go, what? What just happened? The problem is he's not accurate, you know, and he was barely over 50% or so at Florida for two years, and his touchdown interceptions wasn't very good. But, you know, everybody is intrigued by the position, and he's a young guy that hasn't played a lot, right, at the high level at quarterback. So everyone thinks they can be that team or that coaching staff that can teach the guy the game. But what they can't teach is what he already has. And what he has will, you know, is sort of unstoppable if it if it's channeled in the right direction. Now, I don't know that you can teach accuracy necessarily. Like that's the one thing in the NFL, those windows are so tight. Um, but it's really about decision making. It's really about protecting the ball, um, understanding defenses, knowing, you know, where the matchups are, not throwing it into harm's way, not throwing receivers into harm's way. Like there's a lot of it's the hardest position in sport, right? Next to maybe what goaltending in the NHL, um, which is there's a lot of similar similarities between a quarterback and a goaltender, right? Uh, in terms of their importance and and you know all of that, it's a defensive position. I, I get that, but but my point is Richardson is going to go in the first round. I saw a mock draft, Steve, the other day. CBS Sports had him number one overall. <laughs> that seemed like a reach to me. I saw that, too. I think but it was you, the, the Colts trading up for him at number one. Yeah, number one. Yeah. And you know, what's, you know what happens this time of year, and it's already happening this week? It's like Bryce Young, oh, he's small. He, I'm, I'd be worried about taking him early. I don't know. I think I'd go with CJ. Str- I mean, barely six feet barely not even 200 pounds he's going to get destroyed in the NFL and it always it's crazy to me right because yes size is a factor in the league there's no question like because these dudes up here that are six foot five and 260 pounds run a four four forty, okay and they got bad intentions man they really do and if your game is is you know you're a guy that runs the ball at all you got to be really careful but Young sees the field, and last time I checked at Alabama, they're going up against teams. Their own offensive linemen are 6'5", 6'6". They're going up against teams with big offensive linemen. He can see. I There are very few quarterbacks I've watched in college football the last few years that, that saw the field as well as Bryce Young. This guy knows where the ball's going, and he's so accurate, right? He puts it in positions for his receivers to make plays, and he makes great decisions with the football. Not good decisions, great decisions, right? And he wins. And he's got charisma and leadership and work ethic and but 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 we get here to the combine and they start knocking them down. They start taking chunks out of them, right? Now, a lot of times that happens because guys want him to fall, right? So other teams will put out disinformation. I don't worry about his size. But he's been this size his most mature life, right? Whenever he reached peak maturity, um, he knew he was going to get any taller than he is. You know, there's a lot of examples. Russell Wilson's not a tall guy. Drew Brees is not a tall guy. If you're great, you're great. And to me, if you dominated at the highest level and what's higher than Alabama and the SEC and you were dominant, and yes, he was dominant, right? Their team may not have won a national championship. It wasn't because of Young. You're going to be really good in the NFL at that position. You are. You just are. If you go to the right team, they don't destroy you. You know, you don't need Urban Meyer showing up tomorrow, wherever Bryce Young is drafted. But 
you know, failing that, um, as long as they continue to build around you and don't get you hurt, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Joe Burrow went to Cincinnati. They had nobody to protect the guy and he got destroyed, right? He ends up with a torn ACL. You can't have that, right? Because Joe Burrow was great. He is great, but you got to have something around him. Um, so that's the danger sometimes of taking these guys go to these teams and they're, and they're terrible and they get destroyed. Um, but it, it's just the quarterback is so important. And every, you know, you know how many teams like their quarterback? It used to be 12. Now it's 14. Those are the ones that went to the playoffs. They're the only teams that like their quarterback. They're 32 teams. The rest of them want to make a change. They do. You know, it's because you didn't make it to the playoffs. Now I need a new quarterback. So that's that's kind of what that is. And 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 I get it. And look, there's always that guy, right? Like and and they point to guys like Josh Josh Allen who didn't go to Florida. Uh what was it, Wyoming or something like that? And but he was just a just, you know, incredible physical specimen and wasn't the most I don't know what his accuracy was in college, but could do everything and still does everything. And you can't teach what Josh Allen has. Now, Josh has become a better quarterback. He's learned it. Same thing with Mahomes. Like, they didn't even play Mahomes, right? I mean, these guys are freakish athlete, right? Uh, unbelievable arm, deliver it from all platforms, run, uh, jump, throw the ball off, you know, when diving to the ground. Like like a second baseman, like crazy stuff, right? They didn't even play him. I mean, Andy Reid said, I got Alex Smith. Watch him for a year, you know? And, and – but he knew what he had. You know, they 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 moved up to get him because he was just this freakish athlete. So I understand it. And I think he's gonna be overdrafted. I think he's gonna go much higher than people realize. And if he if you hit it, you're set, man. Like you could you could he maybe he'll become a Mahomes. Maybe he'll become a Josh Allen. Like you just I get why teams invest that. I do. Because if you don't have it, you're not winning. Not consistently. Not and you're not keeping your job. Now you can also get fired as a general manager for taking a risk like that because then the guy that's, that's picked behind you ends up being a ten time Pro Bowler, right? Everybody goes, ah, you took so and so, right? Um, so there, there's, there's risk in everything, and and those quarterbacks, if you look at traditionally the ones that are taken, they, I mean, what every first round, not even fifty percent of them probably pan out. Uh, but that's that's true of almost all positions. It's just that the value of the position will drive the pick. And at quarterback, there's just not that many that you would say that you would have a first-round grade. And the first-round grade is not just based on did they win or lose, touchdown, interception. It's what's the ceiling. The ceiling for Anthony Richardson is higher than any quarterback in this draft. The ceiling. The problem is the floor <laughs> is lower than probably any quarterback that will go in the first round. You know, he could fall on his face. Um, and so you just kind of have to measure that. All right, those are good questions. We got more about mailbags tomorrow for you on uh, the show as well as uh, more from the Combine as I get ready to uh, sit through another round of interviews, maybe bump into a few assistant coaches here or there that are new with the Bucks. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be back home from Indy, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 